I say that as a bit of a joke because, honestly, that was kind of my attitude coming into this. And yet, considering the text and coming before it, uh, I've been personally challenged and convicted, but then there was an unexpected aspect of joy that kind of snuck back in as I worked through this and let my, my heart steep in it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, when we considered how the mission of Jesus reorients our lives and our own missions, um, this is an area where I thought on the front end, I'm already pretty well oriented. And yet, it was so sweet to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to consider and reevaluate and then humble my own self before the, the Lord and his word as well. And so, as we come to this, when churches so frequently have such a reputation for abusing a call to give and for really taking what is a spiritual discipline and manipulating it to its own advantage and even to preachers' own advantages, I think we need to begin just by confessing that and then coming before the Lord, asking him to, again, reorient our hearts and to continue to properly orient our church so that we might have a right humility before him and a clear understanding of what it means to steward his gifts and the gifts of his people. So please pray with me. Father, you tell us in your word that our hearts are prone to wander. And this morning we would begin just by confessing once again that that is true. So Lord, I'm sorry. We're sorry. When we consider the management of resources, especially finances, Lord, we come before you as in all other ways as well, but here also as people with unclean lips from a collection of people with unclean lips. And we are dependent upon your mercy to purify us and to make us whole. And yet nonetheless, Lord, confession rightly coupled with repentance standing on the foundation of your grace for us in Jesus Christ is then what frees us to then come into your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that in us, that it would be your kindness that leads us to repentance, and that then participating and receiving that act of sanctification, we might then have our minds and our hearts purified to then re-engage and to reapproach your goodness standing on the confidence of your love for us in Jesus Christ, upon the confidence that you who has begun this good work in us will bring it through into completion and that we have the ability to never stop starting with you and in your goodness and by your mercy. And so, Lord, lead us forward in that this morning as we consider your word and as we reorient our hearts and as we consider your call to mission. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So our text from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is this beautiful story that Paul brings us of one church receiving the gifts of another church. And uh, as I was thinking through how to 
present this well, I was brought to mind of a story where I was in the backyard with my kids. We had a very tiny swing set up. We were living in North Carolina, and I was pushing the swing with one hand, and I had my hand propped on the tree, kind of supporting myself, just letting the swing go and just enjoying the evening or the afternoon. When I turned and I looked at my hand, and I noticed a pattern that I had not noticed before on the tree. And in North Carolina, there is something unique called the Carolina wolf spider. Some of you are familiar. Um, I am now very familiar. Uh, Wolf spiders are big. The Carolina wolf spider gets its own name because in this particular region, they are very big. So I have pretty big paws. And my hand was on the tree just like this. And the spider filled this whole section of my hand. Its body was in the center. And only by the grace of the Lord Jesus was its legs not touching my hand all the way around. And I, I'm pushing this swing and I look over and I just went, ah! For, I'm mic'd, I won't scream. But I did scream. And I, my whole body uh, immediately reacted. The adrenaline was pumped into every portion of my system. It was not just my hand that pulled back, though it certainly did, but my pinky toe even was like shriveled up and trying to withdraw as I sprung about 30 feet through the air uh, back away from this tree. There was, there was a need, there was a stimulus, and there was a whole body response to that particular moment. I'm terrified of spiders. Nothing should have that many eyes and that many legs. Uh, it's just, I don't know, Lord, you got to sort that one out. Um, Martin Luther King, in his familiar work, Letters from a Birmingham Jail, states, considering the state of our nation, but specifically in this letter, churches and the people of God, where he, crying out to the white church in Birmingham, said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's a very familiar part of his quote, but I want to focus on this part of it as well that follows. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one, direct, or whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I want to read that center part again. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. When we consider a call to give, and even as we look at how Paul and these couple of churches were interacting with their particular needs and then the response of the whole body of Christ, I think it's important to come back to this idea which we in North American Western culture can often forget, but that we are not just our own, but we belong to Christ and therefore we belong to the whole body. And we can, in our sin and in our brokenness, we can forget that we are not just individuals. In fact, we can be really tempted to believe and even kind of celebrate that we, we are just individuals. 
And yet, if we have any understanding of our theology and of what Christ has done and what his work on the cross was really to accomplish for us, we have to begin with this idea that no, we are not our own, but we belong to Jesus. And Jesus is building this every tribe, tongue, and nation body that is his church. When we're tempted to think that we are only individuals before the Father, then we get lost in just providing for ourselves and maybe for our families and establishing our own security first and foremost and then perhaps as the overflow of our own establishment of our own security, we might then consider possibly the needs of others. In our best circumstances, we can continue to look and see where we can help. In our worst, we just then shrink down to whatever minimal overflow, whatever extra we might have, and we get stuck there. However, God, knowing all of our needs, has provided for us a Savior who has not come just for individual salvation, but he's provided us a Savior who saves us into the body of Christ. And our call in that, and as we'll see from the text this morning, is to participate as the body, to give of our gifts, to give of all of our resources, to give of all of our privileges and all of what we have. Um, as a pastor, I love the sacraments. What we have here this morning is really wonderful and beautiful. The sign and seal of someone coming into the body of Christ. That that little one, before there's even the ability to understand or respond in fullness, but nonetheless, God has marked them as his own. And that's because each child bears uniquely the image of God our Father. And what that means is no matter the race, no matter the socioeconomic status, no matter anything else, when we are missing or operating without or living disconnected from one member of the body of Christ, we are that much more impoverished in our knowledge and experience and relationship with God. And so when we baptize someone in, there is this glorious enrichment of what it means to be the church, of the resources that you individually have to know the character and the heart of God. And so our call is to be about the business of the body, to give to the body with all of who we are and what we are. So the question that we're going to be considering and answering a bit this morning is, how exactly are we to give? And I don't mean in that like, so give me percentages or numbers or this or that. We may talk about that some along the way, but what we're more to consider is, what does it mean to be the body? How do we give? How does it work that we are knit together and that we are to leverage our lives for one another? And I think what Paul gives us here, beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, is that we are called to give from a posture of plenty. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So this is a letter written by a missionary, Paul, to a, the city of Corinth. So as he's writing to them, he's addressing... Um, something that the church in a you know, faraway city, Macedonia, was able to do. 
Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. In this, what we have first is this weird combination that only in the gospel does this work. There is an, follow the language, an abundance of joy in what God has done for them. This is weird math. But then plus extreme poverty. So we've got these two large amounts of things, abundance of joy plus extreme poverty by the world's math ends in equals a good attempt at giving or caring for someone else or providing for some other needs. Or let's remember they don't have much so when we look at this small amount, we have to hold it in its right context. But no, Paul actually says it resulted in a wealth of generosity to suddenly be meeting the needs of this other church. So we come with a posture of plenty because when we think we're on our own, we rightly have to scrimp and save and guard against all of life's challenges and the different obstacles and the things that might come up and attack and prevent and you know, cause all kinds of problems. But when we come knowing that God loves us in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is immediately and personally aware of every facet of our lives, that we are not just one of the crowd, but we are directly his, that he knows us by name and has called us and has worked to equip us and provides for everything that we need in Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit, then when we stand before him and we encounter different needs and obstacles, we don't have to go, oh no, only how much do I have? We then can look to our Father and say, I can give of myself to the point that it is a real sacrifice, to the point that it costs, because I know that my Heavenly Father has my back, because I know that I am not alone, because I know that I am known, and in Jesus Christ, all of my needs are satisfied and met for, so that even if, even if my finances run dry, because I've been generous elsewhere, I can be okay. That doesn't threaten my identity. It doesn't challenge my foundation. Rather, it is a sign and a hearkening to and a grounding in a deeper foundation and a more solid foundation than even our finances. And so even those who are in extreme poverty, because of their joy in Christ Jesus, are able to manifest that in a wealth of generosity. Jesus talks about this very directly. If you think back to when we were working through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, he says in this epic section about do not be anxious, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, when we have our identity clearly rooted and grounded in the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
when you can trust that your value is in his love, then you are freed to give. Then you are freed to be generous. Then you are freed to stop thinking of your things as all that you can scrape and pull together for yourself. But you are freed to then look around and consider the needs of your neighbor, of your community, of your city, of cities on the other side of the world, and to give, and to do as the rich young ruler was afraid to do, and to give everything to the poor and turn and follow Jesus because you have a treasure that is so much more than your wealth. We are called to give from a posture of plenty. That's why when Paul introduces this in verse one, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. What he's talking about here, and this tracks throughout the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, when he says the grace of God, he's not just talking about the theological concept of grace. What he's talking about is this actual gift that they have given. He's calling this tangible bag-o-money the grace of God that has been manifest from one people being given as an offering to another. Because they are giving from this posture of plenty, from their foundation before the Lord. That's why when he talks in verse 3, he can say that he, they gave according to their means, yeah, which was not much, and then even beyond their means. This is... Um, uh, every once in a while I've had the privilege uh, of I might be meeting with a group of students or going out somewhere to a restaurant with a, a group of people or something and um, every now and again it happens with relative frequency actually someone in the church or an elder will we might run into them at the restaurant and they might say hey whatever this is don't put it on the church's budget uh, here's my card or just tell the waiter to bill it to this table and there's this wonderful generosity when I can say to the people that I'm meeting with, hey, whatever you want on the menu. And they say, are you sure? And I say, yeah, it's not my money, it's someone else's. <laughs> it's really wonderful to be generous with other people's things. And brothers and sisters, when we consider all of what we have, we have to be grounded in this reminder, what we have is not our own. What we have has not come directly from us. What we have is coming from the overflowing riches and the abundance of God's love for us. And so when we are generous, we are not just being generous with our things, which is good and right and appropriate, but we are being generous with the Lord's things. And it is his stewardship that we are called to consider when we think through how we use it. This is God's heart for us. So when Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's raising what the Macedonians are doing, he's actually inviting them, as Dane Ortland, a commentator, says, to a competition to, as Paul talks about elsewhere, to outdo one another in showing honor as they contribute to the needs of the saints. Because contributing to the needs of others is made possible by God's undeserved gifts in their lives. Uh, there's a professor at Covenant Seminary, Jerem Bars, who tells the story of his father-in-law, a man who was a um, just one person, one family operation farmer somewhere in California. And he would give and give and give and give of what he had and to the point that one day the IRS showed up on his doorstep to audit him 
because they were evaluating all that he had given and they were evaluating all of his small means and they were saying there's no way that you can be operating only out of this amount of income when you're giving this amount away. But this was the same man who this professor, Professor Bars, would talk about how showing up unannounced one day, he found his father-in-law out in the fields on his knees with the rising sun holding some of the fruit of his field just praying to the Lord, offering the first fruits. This was a man who recognized all of what he has comes from his heavenly father. And so all of what he had was to be about the father's mission. And so then all of what he could do, he was orienting to the point that it confounded the IRS to give to people who were in need and to further God's love and the people around him. And so, brothers and sisters, the first application of this is to give and to give without fear. Without fear. Because you can be very generous with other people's things. Because you can know that the person who is generous to others is the same person who is very generous to you and whose love will carry you through. This is why then, as I was telling you before, my own heart needed reorientation, why we don't have to fear talking about tithes and why it's right and appropriate to consider what we give and how we're giving it, because we are not just giving out of the generosity of our own hearts. Because, brothers and sisters, all of what you have has come from your very generous Father. And so when we do consider the numbers that are presented before us of offering a tithe of 10% of all of what we have back to his church before anything else, And we do that not as an obligation, but as the reminder of, you serve a father who loves you so well that he provides for all your needs. And so when you give, you are giving out of the abundance of what he has. And you are giving not just to your church, but you are giving to the father. And you are giving to him. And so, brothers and sisters, whether you might hold back, be freed to give to your church. Be freed to give to the Lord and be freed to give to his mission. Because once you start there, that joy that comes, then you'll start to see the ways that it might overflow into giving to other charitable organizations. Giving to the dude that you run into downtown, the people that stand on the street corners because you are not being generous only with your own things, but you are being generous with the things of the Father. This is important to talk about because even as we as a church consider where we are, as I was lamenting to another staff member, oh, it's so hard to teach and preach on giving. She said, yeah, but remember that the word of God is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteous, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. And so I'll offer this to you just as sometimes it's hard in our own context to look in the mirror in our financial giving as a whole church. But over the past year, while the numbers who are worshiping with us have increased by close to 100, the number of giving units within our church has, depending on how you look at it, stayed the same or actually shrunk. And when I say giving units, I mean 
families or individuals who are um, giving regularly to the church. Um, and we are continuing to receive decent percentage underneath our monthly budgeted expenses. So again, I bring this before you, not as a shame and not as a guilt trip, but just to hold up the mirror of where we are and then to challenge us to consider the foundation that we stand on before the Lord and then to think and to act and to live with the appropriate generosity and with the appropriate lack of fear and with the appropriate kingdom ambition that he has put before us. I'll move on. Um, the next sections here, verses three through four, Paul says, for they, the Macedonians, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And you see this chain of what's going on because once we start to see ourselves not just as our own individuals, but as part of the whole body of Christ and partaking in the whole mission of Christ across generations, across centuries, across millennia even, then when we give, we give from a heart of partnership. Look at the language of verse four. It says that these people were begging earnestly for the favor of giving. Whew. You recall the wolf spider? I, I mentioned my pinky toe on purpose because when that was there, I did not go, oh man, I sure hope my hand is okay. Let's see how this plays out. I did not also go, eh, shoo, little buddy. Big, huge, terrifying buddy. Um, my whole body cringed. My whole body leapt. My vocal cords cried out. Is that necessary for a spider? No, but I did. And in the same way, what we see here is the Macedonian church begged earnestly for the favor. They shrieked. They saw what was happening. They jumped. They saw what was the, the threat to that particular moment. And it was not that they looked at it and said, oh, I hope they are okay. They said, oh, no, I am at threat. Because do you recall the words that we mentioned before from Martin Luther King Jr.? We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied by a single garment of destiny. What affects one directly affects us all indirectly. And in the same way, we have to respond to the wolf spider. We need to see the needs of the body. Verse 4, they says that they were earnestly, uh, they were begging earnestly for the favor Sorry, I lost it. Begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That next section, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part. And I want you to see in this, as they're giving, they're recognizing that they have the beautiful opportunity to contribute. Because let's be clear, even as the Macedonians understand what is happening, they understand they have the joy in the Lord of his mission and his goodness and his character being played out. And so what God is doing, God will do. But then they said, ooh, 
can I play too? I want to be a part of this. I trust that it's going to happen, but I want to be involved. And I don't just want to toss some. I want to give to my own detriment that it costs me over and above my ability so that I can claim I was a part of that. I did that. Uh, When I I worked um, for a brief period on a grounds crew mowing lawns, oh, I loved it. But my sweet wife, Lindsay, had to put up with every time we would drive past a lawn that I mowed, I'd go, see the lines on there? I did that. In the same way, the Macedonian church could look and they say, see what God is doing? I was a part of that. And so when we are called to give, we're giving from a heart of partnership, of personal involvement. God's will will be done. A little bit later on in Matthew, when Jesus is giving the Lord's Prayer, do you remember how it starts? He doesn't say, oh, Father. He doesn't say, my Father. What does he say? Our Father. And he doesn't say, give me my daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread. So who are you praying for? You're praying still for the Macedonian church. You're praying still for the Corinthian church, for the Philippine church, for the Japanese church, for the Hebrew church, for the German church for the Glen Burnie Church, for the Annapolis Church. We get to have a role. Um, Professor Kelly Capick, I listened to an interview with him on a podcast called Theology in the Raw with Preston Sprinkle, which, let's pause, Preston Sprinkle, best name there's ever been. Um, (laughs) However, he's being interviewed on, um, Kelly Capick just came out with a book, Oh, forgive me. Lindsay, can you shout out the title of the book? I should remember it. Do you recall? Oh, no, she's telling me she doesn't either. Um, but it's uh, along the lines of embracing our limitations as humanity. I think it's called Only Human. And in it, he recounts a story where a friend, burdened by Matthew 25, where Jesus speaks very clearly, dividing the sheep and the goats, the sheep who will get into heaven and the goats who will be blocked out. And he says... How did you treat the least of these? Did you feed the hungry? Did you water the thirsty? Did you welcome the stranger? Did you clothe the naked? Did you visit the sick and the imprisoned? And this young man was saying, I don't do those things. I don't have the time or the money to do those things. And yet I'm trying. And if I can squeeze in extra hours to serve here or there, then I do. But if this is the standard, I'm... I'm in bad shape, though I follow hard the way of Christ. And Capic said, well, hang on a second. Let me reflect on my own past week. Yeah, last week I was in Nepal evangelizing. And I had the opportunity to be praying in the hospital with children who are on the verge of death. I was also helping recovering sex-trafficked folks. I was actively engaged in helping fight racial injustice and he said, of course, was I doing those things? No, absolutely not. But the church of Jesus Christ absolutely is. And so when we talk about our giving from a heart of partnership, and when we consider these standards of what God is doing, God is coming to really breathe new life into all of the world. And when we consider what our missions and our missionaries and what our different um, charitable institutions even here in the States and everywhere do, what we are doing is we are participating in this call of Christ. And so when you look through, I was given a list of the people that when we tithe, I don't know if you know this, but 15% of our budget 
continues to go directly to missionaries. And I don't know how many we've got, but let me just read off some of the things that we do. We support Covenant College, which equips hundreds of students in walking with the Lord. We equip Covenant Seminary. We give to the Committee on Discipleship for our whole denomination. We give to our presbytery to support local church planting initiatives. And we give to the Pregnancy Clinic on West Street. We give to the Lighthouse. We give to Good News Jail Ministries. We give to Young Life. We give to the Homework Haven. We give to a number of people working with uh, Campus Crusade or Crew, to the Andres, to the Lloyds, to the Wilkisons, to the Van Horns working with InterVarsity. We give to the Garriotts working with Mission to North America. We give to the Zollners working with Mission to North America doing church planting. We give to people working with the Navigators. We give to three separate people leading RUF ministries around town. We give to um, Village Missions. We give to CSB. I'm not even sure what that is, but I'm so glad we do. Uh, We support Josh Thompson's outreach initiatives. We support Josh Martinelli working with the Service Foundation. We work with uh, Indonesian Partnerships, the African Association of of Christian Surgeons, with uh, the Frontiers, with Scott and Debbie Belsley, with Kirkus, with Partners International, to the Seeps. We give to the Browns with MTW, to the Cranes with MTW, to the Colburns with MTW, to the Kirkpatricks, to the Grahams, to the Hawachis, to the Larsons, to the Marshalls, to the McBrides, to the Parkers, to the Rarigs, to the Sindlers, to the Sweets, to the Traubs. We give to the Pioneers Ministry. We work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. We work with um, the Friends of China. We work with Greater Europe Missions. We give to the Putnams with Little Hands of Hope Orphanage. I don't even know how many that was. But do you see this work? 43? Thank you. 43. Brothers and sisters, when you give to the Lord, you can step back and say, I'm a part of that. Because this is the work of Jesus Christ. And you can give without fear. Press on. Finally, verses 5 through 7. He says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he shall complete among you this act of grace as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness. And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You see Paul calling them, excel in your giving. This act of grace is a direct reference to the giving of the needs. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. I was listening to a book by John Stott called Problems in Christian Leadership. One of the things that he identifies is Titus in this passage. If you back up just a minute, it's fascinating. In this lecture, he he gives the people a test, so I'm going to give the same one to you. He reads chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, and don't cheat and look down at the text. Follow with me. Eyes up here, watching you. He says, kind of complete in your mind the next word here where I leave this off. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, he could say, 
Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He could say his heavenly mercies. He could say by any of these things. But you know what he says? By the coming of Titus. By this person. Who recognized the needs. And participated in engaging with his whole life. To carry the gift from one place to another. But also to embody the gift. By coming himself from one place to another. And by drawing alongside. And by self-sacrificially engaging. Because brothers and sisters, when we talk through these things, what we are talking about is giving as an act of worship. Again, is this because Titus was awesome? This was because Titus knew Jesus. This was because God in Jesus Christ had given all of what he had to Titus so that Titus was in a place of security to look around at the needs of the world around him and say, yeah, I can go. Yeah, I can give. Will this cost me? Wonderful. Because then I can say, yeah, I was a part of that. I helped do that. Not to center himself, but because that is where God is working. And so therefore, that is where I want to be as well. This is what it means when we give. This is why we are called to give a tithe. This is why we are then enabled to give even over and above. Because though in ourselves, we're tempted to think we're just individuals who have to carve our own place in the world. God has given us a savior who is building a body who is working across all time such that we might be ambassadors for Christ. Going, giving, having our hearts reoriented to his mission so that we might serve, so that we might give as an act of worship. So how do we give? From a posture of plenty, from a heart of partnership, and as an act of worship. Because God has given all for us in Jesus Christ that we might then stand on his generosity and give as well to our neighbors, loving the Lord and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and for your kindness and for your care. Father, bless this word in our hearts. And I thank you for beginning this work in me as I confessed in the beginning where I can be slow to give, where I can think I have done enough And where I can think, oh good, I don't have to do any more. But Lord, even as the next chapter gets into, reorient my heart so that I might know that what I am giving is really not mine but yours. So that as I give, I might see the ways that I am aligning myself and engaging your mission. So that lifting my heart up to you I might be reoriented in that combination, Lord, then become what you call us to be, which is a cheerful giver. Not one of obligation, but one who gives as an act of worship. I cannot do this in my own self, but Father, this is what you do. And so please continue to work in me, and please continue to work in us, even as we consider your mission and how we might serve it. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand with us and sing Take My Life.